Well, good morning. Would you all please join with me in a short prayer? Heavenly Father, we do come to you this morning now and we pray and ask humbly, in the name of your Son, Jesus, Holy Spirit, that now that you would open our hearts and our minds to soften them, to receive your word. We may have heard this story, Jesus, so many times, but we pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would awaken us to hearing it anew, like as if hearing it for the first time today, and that you would speak into our lives today with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are. I'm Pastor Craig. It's a privilege to be able to be with you uh, here this morning. I invite you to take a Bible. There's a Bible in a chair in front of you. You can take that out uh, and turn to page 854. For those of you who are guests with us, uh, or if you do not have a Bible and you don't own one and you'd like to have one, you are welcome to take the one you're holding in your hands home. Uh, that is a, our gift to you, so feel free to do that. Pastor Tim would like me to remind or let you know that he loves you. Uh, he's away this week, uh, hopefully reserve, uh, receiving some uh, well-earned rest. I have a sneaking suspicion, though, that he's watching us on live stream. So, <laughs> y'all want to say good morning, Tim, just in case he is. It's... What's going to happen is I'm going to go over there to my cell phone later, and there'll be a text on there from Pastor Tim. And it's good to have uh, you uh, with us, and especially those who are online watching and live streaming. So this morning, uh, last week, we had uh, the Passion Week. Uh, we walked through Christ's Passion. And during that week, what, on Good Friday, Jesus died. The temple, the curtain in the temple tore in half. The ground shook. Dead people were raised from the grave. They went into Jerusalem and walked around and showed themselves. There was darkness over the land. Jesus was laid in the tomb. And then as we celebrated last Easter, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. That story, the Easter story, the gospel story, since day one has been challenged in the world. And it's going to continue to be challenged until one day, Satan's already defeated. Okay, But the story is going to be challenged until Christ returns again in glory the second time. Because the object of that challenge is to get as many people to disbelieve the Easter story as possible and take them to hell with him. That's why the Easter story needs to be told over and over and over again each and every day for all the generations to come. I mean, you and I need to hear the word of God every single day, over and over again. Right? How many of you can remember the sermon from two weeks ago? See, I told you. <laughs> we need to hear that story over and over and again so that it gets deep, planted deep inside of us. And so today, we're going to be taking a look at that. We're going to be taking a look at the commission that Jesus gave his disciples and he gives you and I to be sent out into the world. And we're going to do that by taking a look at Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 20. But before we do that, I've had a couple of questions. I've been asked a couple of times this week about there's a little note in your Bible just before verse 9 that says something to the effect of that the earliest manuscripts do not have the following verses. And people go like, well, why are we reading this? This isn't part of the Bible. Look, don't let that note throw you, Okay. There are scholars out there, and there's a big debate as to whether or not Mark actually wrote this part of the Gospel of Mark, um, or if he wrote it, he uh, added it later. 
Some of the earliest Greek manuscripts don't have it, but then it's also true that some of the most reliable Greek manuscripts that we have today do include it. It's also true that the earliest church fathers from the second century taught and preached from these verses in Mark. The point being is that what we are reading today is true and correct. The entire Bible is the inspired word of God. And God found a way to get these verses into the Bible for our benefit. Okay, so don't let that note throw you. Um, they're true and they're correct. They are part of the word of God. So today we're going to be taking a look at the commissioning that Jesus gave to his disciples and being sent out into the world. Let me give you a little bit of a backstory to uh, what happened just prior to verse 14. And a lot of you know the story. If you remember the story, if you take together the Gospels of Matthew and Mark uh, and Luke, uh, called the Synoptic Gospels, the Parallel Gospels, and then they're going to conclude the Gospel of John, we know we get a very clear picture of what happened on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus uh, rose from the dead, and there were some of the disciples and Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Uh, there, they discovered an empty tomb. Mary Magdalene ran back to town to tell the disciples. Well, also on that day, there were two disciples that were on a road to Emmaus. And on that day, as they were walking down the road, they were kind of depressed, dejected, because Jesus Christ had been crucified. Jesus appeared to them. Although their eyes had been blinded, they didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize him. And so he asked them, he said, why do you look so downtrodden? What's going on? Why are you so sad? And they said, well, have you been to Jerusalem? And he says, yeah. He said, how could you not be in Jerusalem and hear about Jesus, the one who was crucified and laid in the tomb? And now they're saying his body. Then Jesus, on the rest of the travel to Emmaus, he talked to them about the scriptures being fulfilled, about all that had to happen to Jesus, the Messiah, that he had to die on the cross and rise from the dead. As they approached Emmaus, they, uh, these disciples asked Jesus to eat with them because it was getting dark. So they went into the house, and as they were eating, as they were breaking bread, Luke reports, their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus, and he immediately vanished. Now these two disciples, they've seen Jesus. They get up from the table and they run all the way back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples who they find gathered in an upper room behind locked doors because they were afraid for their life, to tell them that they had seen the risen Jesus. And the disciples didn't believe them. The disciples didn't believe these disciples or Mary Magdalene. That's where we pick up on our reading for today, on verse 14, where it says, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. So these disciples are together, they're eating. Jesus appears to them and begins to kind of rebuke them, chide them for not having believed these disciples from Emmaus and Mary Magdalene and others who were telling them that he had risen from the dead. So now imagine this. You've got these 11 disciples who for three years they've been walking with Jesus. They've been learning from him. Okay, They've been hearing his teaching. Um, and he's been telling them, look, I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to die on the cross and I'm going to rise again from the dead. But it went in one year and out the other. They had seen Jesus perform the miracles. They had seen the dead raised. They had seen the sick healed. They had seen Jesus feed 5,000 people from five loaves of bread and two fish. They saw all that. They saw Lazarus come out of the grave. And yet, they don't believe these eyewitnesses. These eyewitnesses that have come to tell them about Jesus. What that says about these disciples is they believed everything to be lost. You know, Mark does not portray... In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is not. Jesus repeatedly uh, talks about hardness of heart, and it's the same words that Pharaoh 
that, that Jesus, God had used about Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. Okay? And so Mark, in his gospel, he doesn't portray a real, uh, real good picture uh, of the disciples. What's, I think, evident here is that Mark wants us to understand that there was a climate of unbelief. There was a climate of unbelief uh, in that day uh, in the disciples and what they were believing regarding the resurrection. Now, before we take our spiritual fingers and point at the disciples and go, oh, it's shame on them, how could they not believe? They saw all this. They had Jesus in front of them. Ask yourself this question. How many times have we been slow to take to heart the Word of God? How long have we taken things that we have heard and not believed them? You and I are in the same boat as the disciples. When you and I have witnesses, when we have people around us that are eyewitnesses to things, and they're adequate witnesses, they're believable witnesses, they're trustworthy witnesses, we should believe them. We should believe them. What would happen if you didn't? Okay, a couple weeks ago, our oven caught on fire, and I'm downstairs in the basement in my office, and I hear my wife in the kitchen, Craig, Craig, Craig! Now, what would have happened if I had not believed her? Oh. Well, there's that careless cook again, you know. But when we had... No, she really is a good cook. Somebody help me out of this. Not my own. Someone call them around. Check on me, will you? So when we have eyewitnesses that tell us things that we, we should believe them. Now, these disciples, they were granted the privilege of seeing Jesus. You and I are not. But we stand, on the, we stand on our eyewitness accounts that are written down for us in the Bible as being true because they actually saw this happen. And it's what Peter writes later, years later, in the letters that he wrote to the church in 1 Peter, he says, though you may not see him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. That's what we do. We believe. So now Jesus, after he rebukes the disciples and he kind of gives them a little bit of chiding, he now gives them a command. He commissions them to go out into the world in Matthew 15, 16, 16, 15, 16. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Go into all of the world. Go into all of the world. Despite their initial unbelief, Jesus still died for these disciples also. So now he forgives them, and now he gives them a command. He commissions them to go out. He sends them, and he also sends you. And he also sends me out into the world. Jesus is a perfect example of what that sending looks like. If you read the Bible and you understand what Jesus did during his ministry, Jesus preached everywhere. He preached on the sea. He preached over dinner, during dinner time. He preached in the temple. He preached on the roads. He preached in wheat fields. He taught his disciples and he preached to people in every single setting. That's the example for the disciples and for you and for me. That there is not one place in this world, not one corner, not, 
Now, one nook or cranny where the gospel should not get into, where it should not be heard. Where was the last time? Let me ask you this. I've kind of been asking people this pop question over the last couple of days. What, when, what was the most unexpected place that you ever shared Jesus? And I kind of get the same response. People go like, hmm, that's a good question. We should always be prepared to give an answer. We should always be prepared to tell the story because there shouldn't be a place. A couple of weeks, I was last week, I was in the store, and I walked up to, uh, to purchase my things from the cashier, and the person in front of me making their purchase, they were having a bad day, I guess, because they were complaining about something. And they left, and I looked at the cashier, and I didn't ask, but the cashier said, yeah, he's having a bad day because his daughter won't baptize his grandchild. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> I feel a spiritual conversation coming on. And the cashier says, I don't know what the big deal is. Just baptize him. Get it over with. And I went, now I know there's a conversation coming. <laughs> so there I ended up in that store for like six minutes, and lines lining up. I'm talking, and people can hear me. Six minutes, I'm talking to this cashier about baptism. That's not like we're christening a boat here, okay? That God is the one who is at work in us, and it's for the forgiveness of sins, and the cashier just has this look, you know? So we, you know, we should be prepared to have spiritual conversations in, this, in, in, in our life in every single setting, as was the example that Christ gave to us. So that was their commission that is ours. Now, they had challenges in their, in their life as they went out to do this. There were going to be challenges, and Jesus knew that. The challenges that they faced was that they had a decline in religion in their day. They had a decline in religion in their day. There was an apathy in the culture regarding uh, spiritual matters. And there was a cultural resistance. There was a cultural resistance. The challenges they faced in their day are the same ones that you and I face today. Nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. Today in our lives, in our the things that we face as we go out and we talk about Jesus is we have the decline of religion in America and we have a spreading apathy towards spiritual matters. One example, one example of that. There was a study that was done by Outreach Magazine in April of 2018 on church attendance. These were Christian churches, worship attendance in the United States. There was also a poll that was done by Gallup Poll that about worship attendance in the United States, Christian churches, and how many people actually attend worship. The Gallup poll showed that there was 40% of people in the United States are faithful in worship attendance. Outreach Magazine's poll said there was 17%. Now, that's a pretty big spread. Someone's got it wrong. Here's the difference. What they found was they call it the halo effect. Now, I know you people would never do this. I know you would never, ever do this. And I know I would never do this. But they found that when people answer, gal answer poll questions, they have a tendency to make themselves look better than what they really are. <laughs> they basically, you know, they got my little halo on. Basically, they lied. Whereas the study in Outreach Magazine actually did a head count in the churches. And they found that it was 17% not 40%. So we have this decline, and then we have other examples. The decline of religion in America and this spreading apathy regarding spiritual matters. And there's also a cultural resistance. According to a report that came out from Barna Research, Barna is a, uh, does Christian research, and he's very well known. A report that came out from him in 
February of this year, quote, sharing the gospel today is made harder at any time in recent memory by an overall cultural resistance to conversation that highlight people's differences. We do live in a culture where differences are being highlighted, are being highlighted. There's a fear of conflict in our culture. There's a fear of engaging in conversations because of conflict. The Lutheran Hour Ministries in 2018, they, were, uh, they did a study in partnership with Barna entitled Spiritual Conversations in a Digital Age. And this is what they found. They found that the first challenge of sharing our faith is because of the polarized culture that we live in. It seems everybody chooses up sides. And you, people, the temptation is for you and I to become fearful about talking about Jesus because we don't want to offend anybody, or it might wind up on Twitter, or it might wind up on Facebook. We just don't want to do that. That's the temptation because of the culture that we live in and how red-hot and charged it is right now and polarized. How often have we, how often have we been afraid to share Jesus because of the culture that we live in, because we don't want to upset somebody, or we don't want our friends to think that we think different from them? Even when the Bible, even when the truth is in front of us regarding social issues that we're facing in the culture, that are opposite of what the culture is teaching us. Now, there is a way to do that. There's a way to talk about Jesus. There's a way to go out and to uh, tell the truth to people without, being, without aggravating people or not doing it on purpose. And the key that we find in the Bible is this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to ought to answer each person. There is a way to do it lovingly. But anyway, the challenges that we face are the same ones that the disciples faced. So now Jesus, he sends them out in 15 and 16 to proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go into all of the world. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. The gospel, the good news, the good news of forgiveness of sin because of what Jesus did. That your sins are forgiven through faith in Christ Christ alone, by God's grace alone. That's the gospel. The promise that comes with the gospel is eternal life. The gospel, going to all the world with the gospel, because it's in the death of Jesus Christ that we have the answer, the solution to the most horrible human condition that we have, and that's sin and how it destroys all of the things that we try and do in the name of Christ, all of our good intentions. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that we had the forgiveness of sins, and it's in baptism that God works in and for us that forgiveness of sins. Baptism is not a decision that we make. Baptism is a work that God does in and for us, and baptism is for every single human being from the time that they are born till the time that they step into eternity. Baptism. We receive the forgiveness. It's the same promise that we receive in Holy Communion, which we are going to be taking, partaking in today. And to proclaim the gospel, to declare it, to do it in public. Now, 
Back in their day, the only platforms they had were writing and, and talking. Today, we have a lot of different platforms. And I think I remembered them all. There's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's Instagram, there's snail mail. What am I missing? Oh, Snapchat. Uh, am I missing something? I, huh? Yep, okay, thank you. We have a lot of different avenues, a lot of different platforms that we can go out and share the gospel with. In the same study, the Lutheran Hour Ministries, there was a direct connection between spiritual practices and one's eagerness and ability and desire to go out and to talk about Jesus, to have faith, faith conversations in the digital age that we live in. And those three spiritual practices are the same ones that Jesus and his disciples engaged in. They're the same ones that the Bible calls us to engage in. And the first one is prayer. Those who um, were uh, eager to share the gospel sent, spent more time in prayer. They also, far and away, spent much more time reading their Bibles daily, having that devotion time with Jesus, reading the Bible for understanding and for faith, and then going out and living it. And their worship attendance was double those who were not eager to share their faith. When we are involved in these spiritual practices, when we intentionally are involved in them, what happens is our faith deepens and our eagerness to have faith conversations goes up. And there's three reasons for this that this study pointed out. We know that the Holy Spirit's at work in both spiritual practices and spiritual conversations. As you read, reading the Bible is actually part of growing in Christ. And as you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit goes to work. The Holy Spirit goes to work in your life. And as you become more and more exposed to that story, the more and more that you inwardly digest it, what happens is it becomes part of your story. It becomes part of your identity. It changes who you are. It changes your outlook toward yourself and the world around you. Amen. And you become more and more eager to go out and to share that good news that you've been saved, that Jesus died for you and for me. Those are the spiritual practices. Now, in your outline, I've included a, a link, a, a, web, a web link that you uh, can go to, and you can go there to that Lutheran Hour web link, and there's a whole series of videos that you can watch that will help you in having these spiritual conversations in a digital age. It will help you be the influencer, to own your influence in the world where God has called you to be. So knowing um, also that he sends them out, he knows that they're going to face challenges. Now he gives them encouragement as they go out and do that. In verses 17 and 18, And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. As I said, no part of the Christian story has ever been so much attacked as the Easter story, as the resurrection account. And there's a reason for that. Paul nailed it when he wrote to the Corinthians and said, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is useless. And so the resurrection becomes the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Paul also wrote, thanks be to God that Christ has risen from the dead and your faith is not in vain. But that's why that Easter story keeps getting attacked. It was because if Christ has not risen, then our faith is in vain. Knowing the pressures that they would face, Jesus gives them assurances that he's going to be with them, these signs. 
They are authenticating signs for these apostles as they go out. It lets them know that when these things happen, that God is with them. And it lets the people who he's talking to let them know that God is listening to them. Now, you and I may not experience the same things as we go out and we talk to others. But we certainly can be assured that God promises to be with us, that we are under his care. Because he has said what? That the gates of hell will what? Not prevail against the church. Right? And he also said, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he sends them out, giving them comfort and assurance that he's going to be with them. He sends us out, giving us that same comfort and that same assurance. So now we come to the end of Mark, and there's two things that happen. There's two things that happen. In verse 19, one of them is in heaven, and one of them is on earth. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So now Jesus ascends into heaven. And there now, he sits in the throne room of God the Father at the right hand. And he's not just in heaven, he's here with us too. He can be in more than one place. And he has sent the Holy Spirit here to administer to us, to give us comfort of his presence. And we, what is it that we confess in the Apostles' Creed? That he will come again in glory to do what? To judge the living and the dead. The second thing that happens takes place on earth. In verse 20, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So we come to the end of Mark. Mark closes his gospel with Jesus being with us, with Jesus being with the church, that he is alive and well, he is planning its strategy, he is directing it, all that goes on in the world. And what these disciples and these apostles went out and preached laid the foundation for what is called the church. And you and I are called and sent to go out and to build on that foundation by telling the same gospel story from generation to generation to build on it and to bring others to faith. Because the Easter story didn't end on Easter. It's each and every day. And you and I are part of that Easter story every day. If you join with me in prayer, and as we uh, go into the prayer time as I mentioned, we're going to be celebrating Holy Communion today. So during the prayer time, I, there will be an opportunity there for you to quietly confess your sins um, to God, your Creator, God the Father. Father in heaven, we do come to you this morning. We want to thank and praise you that you have loved us so much that you sent Christ into this world so that all who believe in him would not perish on that last day, but that would have eternal life. Even though we know that, we know that we're saved, we know that you forgive our sins, we confess to you that we are sinners. We know and we understand that there's been so many times that you have called us to talk about you, and we have failed to do it. We have been called to walk somewhere and talk to somebody. We let our feet be lazy. We haven't read our Bibles like we should be doing. We aren't spending enough time in prayer like we should be doing. And then, Lord, not only that, but then there's all those thoughts that go through our head every day that shouldn't be there. All of those desires. All of this, O oh Lord, all of our sins, we confess to you and pray and ask that you would hear them now. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the forgiveness that you have graciously given to us through your Son. In Jesus' name. 
we thankfully pray. Amen. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he blessed it. And he gave it to them and he said, drink from it, all of you. This cup is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. So it was all done for you. It was all prepared for you out of love for you. Come now and receive that forgiveness that is yours and mine in Christ Jesus. Please rise for the blessing. So, you know what happens next? One day you are going to see Jesus face to face. That's what's next. Whether it be at his second coming or when he calls you home. May this forgiveness, this body and blood of Christ that you have received today in this forgiveness keep you in that faith until you do. Be blessed. Be at peace. Let's together uh, sing this closing song.